What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Oasis Podcast. If you're in the Knoxville, Tennessee area, we'd love to meet you face-to-face on a Wednesday night at our main Park West campus. Make sure to check us out on social media at Oasis PWC to stay up to date on everything going on here so that you can get plugged in and join the Oasis family. I hope that you enjoy this week's message. Let's jump in. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome home. If you're new here, welcome home. This is a place where you can encounter the love of God with people that love God and love each other. And our goal for you tonight, whether it's your first time here or you've been here since the very beginning, our goal is that you would be transformed by the love of Jesus and that you would leave with five extra friends. Amen? Five extra friends. Amen? So tonight is a unique night. Tonight I'm going to give you a little bit of background for who we are. We're going to start a a month-long Vision Month sermon series. And tonight I want to share a little bit of how we actually got to where we are. About two and a half years ago, uh, we, we started looking at what it would be like to launch a college and young adult ministry here at the church. And I reached out to a young man that had been in one of my small groups when he was in the youth. And he was about to finish an associate's degree. And we hadn't seen him at all since he graduated high school. And I just wanted to reach out and let him know, like, man, we're, we're doing something, right? Like, there's something on the way. So if you have another church, praise God. I'm so glad that you're plugged in somewhere. If you don't have another church, well, come on back home. We're making a space for you. Because like many other people, he had graduated high school and didn't know what to do next. And we hope that everybody graduates high school and comes right into the main sanctuary. But sadly, sometimes we lose some people. And I wanted to bring him out to coffee and say, man, look, we're, we're creating a space just just for you. And in this conversation, he made this statement that was this massive light bulb moment for me. He said, Caleb, that's such a dream come true and answer to prayers because since I was in high school, I had all these buddies that I played ball with and they were my best friends and we grew up together. Well, now they're making decisions that I don't agree with. And I feel like I have to choose between lessening my morals and being lonely. And in that moment at the coffee shop, <laughs> this light bulb went off of, oh, okay, God, that's what you want us to do. So I told him, no, nah, man, you don't have to be lonely or lessen your morals. You just need better friends. And our goal is to create a space where you can encounter the love of God with people that love God and love each other, to be transformed by the love of God and to gain five extra friends in the process. So this year, our word for 2021 is progress progress. In the next week or two, hopefully we'll have some videos and stuff up where on New Year's Eve, we really leaned into that. So if you were here New Year's Eve, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you missed it, don't worry. We're going to put some stuff out soon so you can be aware of where we're going for this next year. But we believe that God has called us to make progress, to take some ground in 2021. And for us specifically, that means getting better at being an oasis for our city. So that not just in here, but out there, that people get around you and they taste and see that the Lord is good. They realize that there is something that they're thirsty for that they didn't realize that they were thirsty for, or they've been trying to fill that void with other things and it just doesn't work out. This place can be an oasis and you get to be a part of that. And in 2021, we're going to make some progress. Amen. In 2021, we're going to make some progress. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'm going to start in the book of Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. Habakkuk. One more time, just because it's fun to say. Everybody say Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter two. I'm going to read from the ESV. I'm going to give you the title for the message. We're going to pray together and we're going to see where we end up. Okay. Habakkuk chapter two, verse two. 
And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. One more time. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. The title for my message tonight is literally Oasis. Let's get back to the foundation. Let's get back to who we are. Remember why we meet every Wednesday and what we believe God has in store for the future. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that your word will not return to you void, but that it will accomplish exactly what you send it to do. So tonight I ask that you would speak through me, that you would open our hearts and minds, including my own, to be transformed by your word. That when we leave here, we really would know you better, be better for it, and have five extra friends in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. One more time. And everybody said? Amen. I promise I'll preach better if you shout louder. And everybody said? Amen. Oh, it is time, ladies and gentlemen, for the opening sermon, Bad Dad Jokes. I got two of them for you tonight. The first one is, whew, see if I can get them. Where does a hamster go on vacation? Where? Hamsterdam. Wow. 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 All right, this one's even better. You ready? What did the pig say? on the beach. What? <laughs> oh, I'm bacon. Shoot. Ah. <laughs> oh, it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better, folks. It's not getting any better. All right, we'll get back into the word. I'm going to jump around a little bit tonight. Uh, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. The Gospel of John chapter 4. While you go there, I'm actually going to give you some context from way at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Now, in the book of Genesis, you've probably over the years, you've heard the statement, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, you've ever heard that statement? So where that comes from is God gives this promise to a man named Abraham that he'll have as many children as the stars in the sky, that they will be God's people. He will be their, gods, or their God. They will do life together. So then that promise goes from Abraham to his son, Isaac, from Isaac to his son, Jacob. And after Jacob, you see him have multiple sons and this nation really start to take place. But there's a story where things get kind of messy. You see, Jacob wasn't actually the oldest son of Isaac. So it could have been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. The situation unfolds that Esau was the oldest child. The Bible says that he was basically the lumberjack of the family. It literally says that he was a hairy man. He loved to hunt. He was outdoorsy, the hairy lumberjack of the family. Well, his little brother Jacob tricks him, more or less, into giving up his birthright. So as you can imagine, he's pretty upset. Especially back then, the birthright was everything, including this spiritual calling that was, again, to Abraham and to Isaac, and then it would have gone to Isaac's oldest son. Well, Jacob takes all the rights and all the things, and he hightails out of there because he's terrified of his brother Esau. Well, in Genesis chapter 33, there's this beautiful moment where they, uh, they interact. And at this point, Jacob has made a life for himself. He has wives. That's right, wives. It was a different time back then. We'll talk about that later. But he had a couple wives. He's got a bunch of kids. Life is starting to happen. He's gained this, this massive livestock. And Esau comes looking for him. So in Genesis chapter 33, there's a situation where Jacob and all the wives and all the kids and everybody bowed down to Esau out of reverence and fear that he's going to go crazy on him for what he's done. 
And Esau actually takes him up and hugs him and they have this loving embrace moment. There's forgiveness. The Bible says they both cry. It's this incredible reconciliation moment. Well, then right after that, the Bible says that Jacob goes to a place called Shechem. Everybody say Shechem. One more time, say Shechem. He goes to Shechem and he buys this land and he sets camp here. Now, this is cool because Shechem was in the land of Canaan, which is the promised land that God eventually takes the Israelites back to years and years later. But let's jump into the gospel of John chapter four. Everybody say Shechem one more time. Okay, John chapter four, starting in verse one. Now that you've got all this context, I want you to check this out. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now we had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar. Everybody say Sakar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. Now, here's why I share all of this crazy context at the front end. In the Old Testament, the land of Shechem is what in the New Testament is the land of Sychar. It's the same land. So what's cool is years and years later, Jesus is here doing his ministry thing. He's getting, he's going from Judea up into Galilee. And if you look at it on the map, it's literally a straight line through Samaria to get him where he's going. And while they're on this journey, he stops at this well that is a massive historical landmark. Jacob would have dug this thing himself. Scholars believe it's over 70 feet deep and he dug it himself. Jacob and his sons and his family would have drank from this water. And then from all them years after that, (laughs) the people have taken nourishment from this well. So Jesus gets to Samaria and he sparks this conversation with a Samaritan woman. And verse seven says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Can you imagine the awkwardness of this situation? He's not really supposed to be talking to her anyway. There's a lot of cultural reasons and we'll get to that in a minute. But she's doing her normal everyday thing. She's going up to the well that everybody for years and years and years has got water. And this random guy's like, hey, you gonna get me a drink? She expresses that that's an issue. And Jesus' response is, girl, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for living water. Now, if this is 2021, that is red flags all over the place. Ladies, walk away. You ain't trying to talk to him. There's lots of reasons why this conversation is just weird. So she continues on. It says, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So then the woman said to him, sir, Give me this water 
so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. All of a sudden, Jesus ain't so creepy. She's not worried about it. She's letting her guard down a little bit. And he starts talking about this living water. Now, what's cool is Jacob, eventually God changes Jacob's name to Israel. So then Jacob, who has had all these sons, becomes the 12 tribes of Israel out of his children. So when you go back and you look at the Old Testament, you've got the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this promise that was given to Abraham that he'd have as many children as the stars in the sky. And it's when Jacob has kids that you really start to see this unfold. Those 12 names are created into the 12 tribes. Eventually they go through the wilderness and captivity and all this craziness. Finally, they end up in the promised land and you see where God's people have said into who they were supposed to be. But what's so neat about this passage is she comes to Jesus and says, wait, 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 this is Jacob's well. Like this is the father of our faith. This is the one that carried the promise of God that his kids would be God's people. Him and his kids and even their animals drank from this water. And Jesus says, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But... The water that I have is better than anything that the church had seen yet at that point. If you drink from the living water that I have, you'll never thirst again. Continues on in verse 16. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. Awkward. The fact is, You've had five husbands. Even more awkward. Jesus can get away with these things. So the fact is, you've had five husbands. You think he said it like that? Maybe he wasn't that intense about it. And the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And then here we are again. It's taken another awkward term, and she's trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is and what the conversation is that they're currently having. Now, at this point, he's just read her mail. She's gone from kind of awkwardly scared of the conversation to intrigued to wanting the living water to now both frightened and still intrigued at a whole other level because he knows what she doesn't want everybody to know. The things that she's tried to keep secret, the things that you sweep under the rug, he knows. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know for salvation is for the Jews. Now she is aware of what the Jews believed. And largely, they at this point, they believed that the coming Messiah was for them specifically. And that's why for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't know what to do with Jesus, right? Because he, his gospel was for everybody that would receive it. But at this point, she's kind of quoting that. And she's saying, okay, look, I know that at some point the Messiah is going to come and he's going to reveal all of these things and, and it's going to make sense. But right now, you're just a random stranger, having a conversation with me and reminding me of all the things that I've done. But listen to this beautiful conclusion to their conversation. 
And in verse 23, Jesus said, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Ah, oh, but then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Oh, the moment, the moment. I, I wish I could have been there in this moment. You've heard from afar that the Jews have this belief that this is what's going to happen, right? You know that at some point something's probably going to go down. And Jesus is down in Judea making all of this noise and the people are hearing what's happening. So he travels and he goes from one place to another. And in one conversation, Jesus tells her, there's going to come a time when you don't have to worship in one specific place. Where the, the religious junk is broken down and those barriers are broken and all the stuff gets out of the way. Oh, and by the way, I'm the guy. And this random Samaritan woman gets to be one of the people that Jesus specifically says, I am the Messiah to. There weren't many people that he that blatantly said that to. You see, back then, the, the Jews and the Samaritans really did not talk. In the verse, it, it says kind of in parentheses like they did not associate together. There's even another story in the Gospels where they tell this parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Because they're traveling through the town and none of the main people will help him and the Samaritan stops and helps him anyway. And the reason that that story is so powerful is they did not like each other. They did not talk. Not only that, but in this culture, it was not appropriate for a man to talk to a woman. So he's breaking two cultural norms and revealing his nature in a way that he only revealed to a few certain people. Can you imagine what it must have felt like? And we don't talk about it a whole lot, but the historical relevance to the fact that this woman gets to be one of the people that forever spoke to Jesus face to face and knew that he was the Messiah. Jacob's well once provided water through famine and drought and all of these massive issues and for hundreds of years provided for God's people. But today, this woman experiences an entirely different type of water and gets a taste of something completely different. Look around, church. Our world is thirsty and not even really aware of it just broken and, and in need of love. Livy and I were talking earlier in the week and, and I made the statement, I don't know that there has ever been a generation that has just struggled to exist like ours does. The risk of being negative. The idea of getting up in the morning, doing anything remotely productive and going to sleep at night has become so hard. And depression and anxiety and all of this stuff is through the roof. And we are doing anything and everything to try to make it easier. Existence wasn't supposed to be this hard. 
our world, our society, your classmates, your peers, your family, we are struggling and thirsty and filling it with all kinds of things. Let me be clear. Relationships won't fix it. Fame won't fix it. Money won't fix it. Sex won't fix it. Contrary to popular belief, changing your gender or your sexual orientation won't fix it either. It just adds more confusion and more blurriness and more depression. And we're getting more and more lost when Jesus is the only thing that can fill this void. For years and years, people just followed Jesus because their parents did, right? That was a normal thing. (laughs) I don't have friends that do that. I've got friends that believe and I've got friends that don't. And all of a sudden, this lukewarm stuff got really out of the way. But the friends that believe and the friends that don't, they all have that one thing in common where there's this massive void. The difference is one acknowledges that Jesus is the answer and one just hasn't come around to it yet. But there is a a people so thirsty and in so much need all around us. And if you find yourself in a moment with the Holy Spirit and experience the fulfillment that he brings, if you taste and see, Jesus looks at the woman at the well and he says, you've been in many relationships and it never helped. Commitment level didn't matter. Girl, you've been married five times. Prestige can't help you. I see you. And in fact, I know you better than you know you. Do you know what you need? A drink of living water. This place is an oasis, not not because of the great people that are in it, and you are in fact great, but because God's presence is here. And when you walk in here, you feel it. Take a deep breath. You can feel it. There's There's a tangible peace in the room, in the presence of God, that fulfills unlike anything else. See, Jesus was in Judea going up to Galilee. And like I said, it's just this straight line. And to, to the disciples, this was a pit stop. To the reader, this is a pit stop. Jesus knows that the famous Jacob's Well coffee shop is here halfway through. So they're going to stop and gas up the truck and get a cup of joe and go the rest of the way up into town. But what looks just like an in-between thing ended up being an answer to a dry, broken land in Samaria of all places. Let me ask you a random question. What is the most important day of the week for you? What is the most important day of the week for you? Lately for me, it's Monday. and The last six months or so, I've been back in the gym. And I have found that if I miss the gym on Monday, it's all over try again next week. It's just not going to happen. I'm going to eat dessert with lunch and I'm going to give it a shot next week, right? Like that's, that's where I'm at right now. So Monday really matters for me. There have been times in my life when Friday really mattered, especially when I was trying to do school and work and all the things at the same time. And God be with those of you that are doing that right now. If I could get myself to a level of accomplishment by Friday night, I knew that I had checked enough boxes to actually have a weekend, right? Lately, in a lot of ways, I work in full-time ministry. Sundays and Wednesdays are awesome days for me. They're the days that we come together, we worship together. I get to preach. I get to do what I feel like I'm called and created to do. But the older I get 
And the more I do life in ministry, I'm really coming to the conclusion that the days that I give the most value to are the ones that are most important to Jesus. And here's why I say this. This woman was not saved at Sunday morning service. In fact, Jesus literally had been preaching sermons and healing people in Judea and was traveling from there up to Galilee to do the same. And it's on the road in between, right? So Monday through Thursday, Jesus has been preaching revivals in Judea. He's been doing all the things, eating the meals with all the congregation members and healing services and all the things in between. And he's got a two-day journey to get himself from point A to point B. And when he gets out there, he's going to start right up again. He's got to preach two Sunday morning services there in Galilee with a lunch meeting with the pastor. Then he's going back for prayer meetings and starting revival that night. He is going to do his ministry thing. And the Bible literally says that they stopped at the well because Jesus was tired. And on an off day, when church wasn't happening, he sparks this conversation with somebody that culturally he should not have been talking to in the first place. And her whole world gets rocked upside down. Back in verse 17, the awkwardness of this conversation is tangible. In verse 17, after he's told her to go get her husband, she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And I want to make a point, and I want to lean into it, and I want to explain it. But if you're a note taker, the gospel doesn't just coddle, it cleans Jesus could have just come in and said, I love you, and hey, here we are, and I'm the Savior of the world, and this, and that would have been enough. He could have expressed who he was and talked her through all the prophecies that he's fulfilling, but instead of going that route, he says, this is all the mess you've been circling around for the last however many years. <laughs> Let's get this dealt with in the process. Let's not just coddle you and love you. And, co- and listen, Jesus does that. He's close to the brokenhearted. He sticks closer than a brother. That is who God is. And I believe that in the right moments, he will wrap you up and take care of you. And it is the most beautiful, necessary thing. But he's not about leaving you in it. He's going to get you up out of the mud, clean you off with the blood of Jesus, and turn you around to help you repent and go the other direction. And I take offense to some of the statements that our generation is just wearing out right now. So let me just... Let me not pull any punches. One of the statements that I hear the most from not specifically our group, but our age group is, I don't want to be a Bible thumper. I don't want to be that way. So I just share the love of Jesus. I just love everybody around me and they experience the gospel through me loving them. Can I be really honest? You can love them and them still go to hell. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So loving somebody is so good and so necessary, but salvation will not be found in the amount of patience and love that you show someone. It's in their, acknowledge of the, their acknowledgement of the sacrifice that Jesus made for them. Now, while the truth must be spoken in love, there is no love shown if the truth isn't spoken. And that's not popular right now. And we're all terrified of that. That's okay. I get it. I feel it too. 
The world has portrayed Christianity as this big judgmental mess. And it's terrifying even just to say, yeah, I'm a Christian because everybody thinks, man, you judging me and you whatever. God is not looking at you to be anybody's judge. But how can you tell me that you love somebody if they end up in hell? It doesn't matter if they live another 60, 70 years living the life that they wanted to live. If they spend eternity in hell, you cannot convince me that your silence was loving. In order to speak the truth in love, we have to speak it. And Jesus did. 2021 is going to be a year of progress. And for me, I want to catch my off days like Jesus did. I, I don't just want to do it well on Wednesday and on Sunday. Can I be really raw? It can be easy to do the, the TV pastor thing. And here's what I mean by that. I've been in church a long time. And on Sunday mornings, I have the honor of singing and, and leading worship with Pastor Tom and the team. Being associate worship pastor here is one of the greatest honors of my life. But I've been doing two Sunday services a week for a long time here. And sometimes it's really easy to raise my hands and to sing loud and to put that smile on my face when there's 300 plus people in the congregation and 200 watching on the other side of the camera. But does my character worship the same way on Saturday when it's just Livy and I at the house? Does my light shine the same way in everyday life that it does when I know I need to perk up and put the pastor face on, you know? Same thing for Wednesdays. I spend a couple days a week getting into this word and prepping and reading and getting ready for this moment. But do I study the word the same way on Tuesday? Do I preach it as good to the people at the coffee shop as I do here when I come in on Wednesday night? I want to make progress in 2021. I want to be a part of what God is doing. And I genuinely believe that Knoxville is going to have a ton of people that's eternity is going to be shifted in 2021. And I think we're going to get to be a part of that. Amen? I think we're going to get to be a part of that. Not because we've got it all figured out, but because we're just going to be an oasis. We're going to let people taste and see every day of the week, everywhere we go. Give a little taste of what God is doing in your life that people would be transformed in the process. Now, the woman takes the news of Jesus back to her village. And in verse 39, God, oh, this is so cool. In verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Whew. Pause. Again, he stopped at the well because he was tired, and he's trying to get from point A to point B, and they ask him to stay two days. And he doesn't even, doesn't even flinch. And because of his words, many more became believers. Man, this is my favorite verse in the whole story. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and know that this man really is the Savior of 
of the world. Man, you get to be that person. You get to be that person that's having the conversation at the metaphorical well, at the coffee shop, at whatever. What if in a couple weeks your classes start back up and when you're stressing like a lunatic and you just, you've got that angry face and everybody can tell you've got an angry face and you don't want to talk to nobody and all that's going on. What if in the middle of that when you're doing homework at the coffee shop you actually look up to the person next to you and they happen to notice this real happy smile and it sparks this conversation. And it doesn't have to be this big, beautiful thing, right? You don't have to do what Jesus did and tell them every sin they've ever committed. That'd be weird. But you start having this conversation with them. And just because of this moment, they taste and see that the Lord is good. And then what if the day after 10 extra people show up? Because that one person had a conversation with you and got a taste. Said, this is weird. And I don't know what was different about this person. But even though they were stressed, and even though they were, they were dealing with all the things of life, there was something tangibly different, and I want more. And then 10 people get to taste and see that the Lord is good. Again, that Samaria wasn't in the plan, wasn't in the roadmap. But Jesus gives not just his strength, but his time. And it takes sacrifice. And it's going to take sacrifice of our time, of our efforts, of our priorities. So are you ready to make yourself available? I believe in 2021, we will see progress. In 2021, we will see progress. And yes, this goes so, so much beyond a specific calling for a ministry that is in your individual life. I believe God is going to reveal your calling at a different level. I think there's going to be clarity in a different level this year. I think some questions are going to be answered. He's going to guide and direct your paths and make some things clear for maybe you've made step A and step B and you're in limbo trying to figure out what C is. I believe there's going to be some progress made in 2021 in those areas. And I just declare that over you. But specifically, in the aspects of the kingdom in regards to this ministry, I believe there is going to be progress in 2021. But this place can only be an oasis if you will be an oasis. People are not going to come and taste and see here unless they taste and see first out there. Amen? So are you ready? Are you ready to see some legitimate kingdom growth? Again, because that void, that thing that's inside here, it's not just accepting Jesus and being transformed by Jesus. It's getting your butt in line with his will for your life. It's crazy what you watch happen when you start doing what he created you to do. Joy shows up. You're behind in homework, but three people got saved, and you just are so happy. It's like Christmas morning. Everything changes when you walk in the calling that he has put you on earth to accomplish. It changes everything around you. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me? I'm going to close in just a second, but I want to, I want to tell you a story first. In case you haven't noticed yet, I'm a little bougie. I'm a little high maintenance. I'm aware of it. I'm working on it. My wife is very aware of it. Um, so pray for her, but I am, I'm kind of high maintenance. I'm really picky about a lot of things and, um, 
I don't think she really knew how many things I was picky about. One of which that I'm picky about is my hair. When we were growing up, we had somebody that would come to the house and cut our hair. And I, I, everybody else was fine. But I promise you, every single time this woman came in my house and cut my hair, I cried when she left. It never worked out good. I never liked it. It was an awful experience for me because I was so high maintenance and I needed help to look better. Anyway. Years later, I still struggle to find a barber that I really just like. And for a while, I had been going to see somebody, and then dude did me dirty, and my hair was all jacked up. So last year, I had to find a new place to go and get my hair cut. And of all places, I went to sports clips. And some people are like, oh, why did you do that? That was bad. You shouldn't have done that. The guys in the room are 50-50 split, Right. Like, oh, it was great. You get to watch basketball and get your hair cut at the same time. And some of them are like, yeah, she messed up my hair because she was watching basketball while she was cutting my hair. But anyway, I, got to, I went to sports clips. And I went in like three months. I went to two different places and ended up seeing three different people in that time frame. Everybody cut my hair just fine. It, it was fine. Well, then it was time to get my hair cut again. And this sounds so silly, but I promise you it's true. I felt like God told me to go to the sports clips on Broadway. Now, we live in West Knoxville. I have to pass two other sports clips to get to this sports clips. How many times can I say sports clips in this story? But I get to sports clips, and I go in, and this girl is like, hey, are you Kayla? I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay, can you come back here. She sits me in this chair, and um, she's real cool. She's got crazy colored hair. She's clearly into metal music, like one of my people. And... Um, I get sit, I sit down in this chair and we just start having conversation and, and I'm, I can't help it. I, I'm a talker. So I'm asking questions about her and she's asking questions about me. And at the time, Livy and I were engaged. And I'm like, yeah, I'm getting married and she's gorgeous and God is good and, and all this stuff. And she's telling me about how she had had this little girl when she was still in high school and how crazy that was for her. And by the, about halfway through the conversation, I made a statement. I was like, man, I'm so glad I'm here to get my hair cut. I've got an event tomorrow night and I'm just so excited to look better because I looked homeless at the time. So I was like, yes, this is good. And she said, oh, what do you do for a living? I said, actually, I'm a pastor. And I kid you not, she laughed at me. No joke. She said, but you wear skinny jeans. And you, you, you told me you were in a metal band. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> They let me pastor anyway. It's okay. We've got a cool church. She's like, wow, that, you look so normal. Well, then I told her I was homeschooled, and she was even more blown away. She's like, whoa, you break all the normal rules. I'm like, yeah, it's great. But at least once a month for over a year, I've gone to this same spot, and she's cut my hair and done great. But the reason I keep going back is there's been such healthy conversation. And some weeks I go in and she's telling me all these things and I hardly say a word. Sometimes I go in and I'm telling her about you guys and how great God has been in your life and the miracles and the growth and the incredible things that we've seen. And she, it's like I can watch her get more color in her face while we talk. And a couple months ago, sitting there getting my hair did and she, she's telling me the story of this new guy that she's talking to and how he's been through it and through it and through it. And he had just lost his grandfather who raised him and he, he was Catholic originally and how confused he is about his faith. And I'm able to, to have a healthy conversation, even give some guidance on how to love him through this. And it was like in this moment, I had this realization that there is such a healthy taste and see taking place 
all because on a Tuesday, I wanted to get my hair done so that I'd look better for Wednesday. And I I had stopped in Samaria on the way to Galilee. And I don't know that she will ever set foot in here, but you better believe she knows there's an open invitation. (laughs) This year, I wanna do that way more. I don't tell that story like I'm just all that in a bag of chips because I should have hundreds of those stories to tell you right now. I should know, I drink way too much coffee. (laughs) I should know all these baristas by name. There should be healthy conversation so that people can taste and see that the Lord is good. This place will be an oasis this year. But in order for that to happen, you have to be an oasis. I have to be an oasis everywhere we go. Amen. Will you pray with me, God? We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness, for your love, and for your mercy, for your favor, and for your kindness. God, help us experience that favor and love and and kindness and remind us of the forgiveness and the mercy that we've been shown. God, that in the midst of all the noise and all the junk going on around us, that we wouldn't drink the Kool-Aid. God, that we just... Yeah, it's real and it's happening, but you're still in control and you're still on the throne and nobody's taking that joy away from me. And in the middle of everybody else struggling with this void and looking for something to do, God, when they look at me, let them see an answer to this problem. If you're in the room tonight, heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're in the room tonight and you say, Pastor, I'm not even sure that I have tasted and seen at the level that you speak of. Would you just throw a hand up for me? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Amen. We're going to pray this together if you'll repeat after me, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time. We want to recenter tonight on who Jesus is and start the year out the right way with him on the throne of our hearts and committed to see the kingdom grow. So repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I need you. I choose you. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose for me. And I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the people that have prayed that prayer, that have meant it, that will be forever transformed tonight by your goodness, your favor, and your mercy. And Lord Jesus, for those of us that have just prayed it for the first time, and for those of us that have been praying it for years, God, let there be such a fulfillment in the presence of the Holy Spirit this year that everywhere we go, we spread it. God, it's just so infectious and attractive, and everybody sees it and wants to taste and see that the Lord is good. God, help us spread the gospel this year. Help us spread the gospel this year as we make progress and provide an oasis for the city of Knoxville. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen.